This is our first podcast in a short series on the millennium, reading from Revelations chapter 20, verses 4 to 6. And I saw thrones, and they that sat upon them, and judgment was given unto them. And I saw the souls of them that were beheaded for the witness of Jesus, and for the word of God, and which had not worshipped the beast, neither his image, neither had received his mark upon their foreheads or in their hands. And they lived and reigned with Christ a thousand years. But the rest of the dead lived not again until the thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is he that hath part in the first resurrection. On such the second death hath no power, but they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years. Our next few studies will center around the Battle of Armageddon and the great millennium that is to come. Today, I want to address three questions. First, what is the millennium? Second, how will we live in the millennium? And third, what kind of people will be in the millennium? First, let's recap the basics. What is the millennium? Well, the word millennium means a thousand years, and the biblical millennium is a thousand-year period promised to the elected who were faithful to the word in their generation. This takes place after the rapture of the saints and the Battle of Armageddon, which we'll cover in another lesson. The millennium is a honeymoon period. It's a sacred time where Jesus Christ, his bride, and the 144,000 Jewish remnant who have received the Holy Spirit live and worship together. It is a time of peace that was typified by the reign of King Solomon in the Old Testament. Notice that Solomon was the son of David. When he took the throne, Israel knew a time of prosperity unlike any other. His reign was a time of justice and peace for all because of the great gift of discernment or wisdom that God gave him. So Christ, who is called the Son of David during the millennium, see 2 Timothy 2.8 and Revelations 5.5, will take his place over Israel. This is the time that the disciples were longing to see when they asked if he would restore the kingdom unto Israel. That's found in Acts chapter 1 verse 6. You see, Israel means a prince with God. The name itself promises rulership over the nations. Yet, since the fall of Israel under Solomon's time, Israel has never again known the glory that God promised. But the wonderful God knew that the people that would rule with him during the millennium would not only be natural Israelites, but an elected people making up a spiritual Israel that is made up of Jews and Gentiles. As I said this morning in church, he has been hand-selecting that bride in the 2,000 years since he went away, pulling them to himself for the great age that is to come. When the last bride member comes in, and the 144,000 members of the Jewish remnant have received the Holy Ghost, God's predestinated starter seed for the new world will be complete. To get more information on that, you can read Romans 11 and Revelations 14. Now he can restore the kingdom to Israel. So in the millennium, Jesus, who is the son of David, will rule as head over Israel and as the bridegroom to the Gentile church. To the Jew, Christ is the root and offspring of David. In other words, he was before David, which is the root of the royal vine, in David, and after David, the offspring. But to us Gentiles, he is the divine lover shown in Song of Solomon, who has finally received a faithful bride. So how will we live in the millennium? Now that we've got the basis established, let's look at what happens to the bride during the millennium. Now take your time and study the scriptures I'll share with you. Pause, pray, Think and come back whenever you want to so you can really soak in the word. And I trust that you will love Christ more as a result of your study. First, the redeemed upon this earth will live in a glorified body that is just like the body that Jesus Christ will have. I'm reading from Philippians chapter 3 verse 21, which says, Who shall change our vile body that it may be fashioned like unto his own glorious body, according to the working whereby he is able even to subdue all things unto himself. 
All of our loved ones that died in Christ are in a theophany, according to 2 Corinthians 5 verse 1, that does not age, thirst, sleep, or get hungry. Therefore, as the Lord Jesus said, there are no human associated relationships in that body. Do you remember Christ was asked the question about the woman who had married seven brothers, Mark 12, 18 to 27? He showed us that there is no marriage in that estate, which he called the resurrection. Now, and if you recall Brother Branham's experience beyond the curtain of time, you see the same truth borne out. Brother Branham says in Hebrews chapter 2, number 3, not exactly with flesh and blood like it will be in its glorified stage, but it is of a form of a human body that doesn't eat, neither does it drink, but it's, it's a body. It's a, a body that's waiting for us as soon as we leave this one. Now in there we enter into that body, and that's the kind of body that God was, for he said, let us make man in our own image and in our own likeness. They, in Brother Branham's vision or experience of Beyond the Curtain of Time, they all called him our precious brother, including his first wife that had passed on. That body is waiting for the resurrection of their flesh, which our text, our reading earlier in Revelations, calls the first resurrection. But when Jesus Christ returns to start the millennium and his saints come with him, the saints will no longer keep a theophany. For reference, you can read Zechariah 14.5, Matthew 16.27, Psalm 96, 13, and Isaiah 66, verse 15. That's just to, to get you started. The saints will no longer keep a theophany. Instead, the dust, minerals, and whatever else that makes up your body will combine with that theophany to produce a perfect body that is ready to live and reign for a thousand years and beyond. Brother Branham says this, speaking of the resurrection and the second coming of the Lord. And now when that tabernacle, they left their in that body, they come back to the earth, and that type of a body that they had took on immortality. The, the dust of the earth gathered into that theophany of somehow, and they become human again, had to eat like they did in the Garden of Eden, see? And he quotes the scripture, but if this earthly tabernacle be dissolved, we have one already waiting. That's from question and answers. Now, there are so many things we don't understand about how this body will work, as the Bible tells us that it's not fully revealed to us what kind of a body we will have. But we can look back at the pattern of God to get a good idea of what things will be like in the millennium. Now, I notice if you can see my diagram that I have on the Internet here, it might make a little more sense, but I'll read it out here too as well. That we start from thought in God's mind, come, we were supposed to come into a theophany and then into flesh. That's how the Lord Jesus came, that great condensation from being a thought in the mind of God to being a theophany, a word body, as we spoke of a few moments ago, and then coming into flesh. So he knew the secrets of the hearts and all these things that were going on around him. If you notice how God brought man from a thought to, to a theophany to flesh man glorified. Now, God thought of Adam when he created Adam as a theophany. That's Genesis 1.28. And then he put Adam into flesh, Genesis 2.7. That was a glorified body. That was a glorified flesh. So Adam lived forever. He did not die, did not have sickness. He was just, you know, a perfect man. And his wife was perfectly woman there with him. So we see the same pattern repeating again from thoughts in God's mind. We were put into flesh, but that flesh was fallen because of sin. We skipped that theophany part because of the fall. But what God is working when Christ's blood came to us, it brought us back into God's order. So we enter into theophany after this life is over. But the journey isn't over yet. I'm going to quote here from who is this Melchizedek, Brother Branham says, and then when this robe of flesh is dropped, there is a natural body 
theophany, a body not made with hands, neither born of a woman that we go to, then that body returns back and picks up the glorified body. And that's, of course, at the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. So just to recap here, we were supposed to come to this world from being thoughts in God's mind to going to a theophanic body and then coming into this flesh. However, because of sin, we came from being a thoughts in God's mind to coming into a corrupt, carnal, sinful flesh. Jesus Christ, by his great blood, he redeemed us. And now when we leave the sinful flesh, we go into a theophanic body like we were supposed to do all along. But it doesn't end there. When Jesus Christ returns, that theophany trans is transformed into a glorified body by picking up the earthly elements of this world. Now, let's put that on just a little bit of a pause for a second. Let's turn our eyes to the Lord Jesus Christ. At the coming of Christ, we return to a glorified body just as Adam and Eve were given. Now, I want you to notice how human desires were granted to Adam and Eve in their glorified state. They got hungry. They got tired. They loved. They had feelings. And yet they were divine beings. We see the same pattern in Jesus Christ. After his resurrection, he had to follow a specific order until he ascended to his father. That's John chapter 20, verse 17. He did not eat or drink, contrary to what he told Jairus to do when he, Jesus, raised up the little girl from the dead. Why? His body was not ready for that yet. But once he ascended and then returned to his disciples, he came with a glorified body that could eat, drink, and be touched. Do you remember what he said to Thomas? John 20, verse 27. Something had changed for instead of not being touched and eating and drinking, he asked them for food, which he had always loved anyway, to prove that he wasn't a theophany or a vision. He told Thomas to touch him and to put his hands in his side, whereas before he was told not to. So we see that in Christ's, pa Christ's path, he went in his resurrection from a theophanic body to coming back with a glorified one that could eat and could drink and could fellowship and associate with other human beings. Isn't that just phenomenal? Now, in the millennium, we will have a restoration of all that makes us human. Remember that I said those that sleep in Christ are in a theophanic body, which is not fully human. It is a word, temporary holding body that doesn't eat or drink or any of these things. But when the, for the millennium to onset and to be kicked off, I don't mean to say in a bad way, but the millennium to begin, we realize that we have to go from that theophanic body into what God had in mind all the time. Now, this may not seem very important or very relevant in that sense, but to me, it's everything because the reality is I want to know where I'm going and I want to know what God has in store as much as he will allow us to know. So in the millennium, we will have a restoration of all that makes us human. We will eat, drink, and love. Whereas in a theophanic body right now, those that are in a theophanic body, there is no eating or drinking or human relationships, as we would call it, in terms of loving each other as a husband or a wife, etc. In that case, we were all brother and sister. Micah the prophet predicted this millennium about 500 years before Jesus Christ came the first time. Here's what Micah said in chapter 4, verse 5. But they shall sit every man under his vine and under his fig tree, and none shall make them afraid, for the mouth of the Lord of hosts has spoken it. Isaiah also prophesies of this great society that will be largely agricultural, that lives in the blessed presence of the Son of God. Isaiah 65, verse 21 to 23, And they shall build houses and inhabit them, and they shall plant vineyards and eat the fruit of them. They shall not build and another inhabit, they shall not plant and another eat. In other words, you won't start and your son will pick up the family business because you die, because you won't be dying. 
They shall not build and another inhabit. They shall not plant and another eat. For as the days of a tree are the days of my people and mine elect shall long enjoy the work of their hands. They shall not labor in vain nor bring forth for trouble for they are the seed of the blessed of the Lord and their offspring with them. We see quite clearly here from Isaiah's prophecy that there will be work going on in the millennium for he says that we will labor. There will be productivity going forth for we will be bringing forth things and creating things. It is indeed a very real world. In that world, all wrongs will be made right. Those without the correct spouse here in this life will find that God brings them to the correct mate so they can live in happiness and peace. And that brings me to my second question. What people will inhabit that world? Now, here we're going to venture into some deep water. So get your Bibles and stay with me. The millennium is only for the bride and the ten tribe and the twelve tribes that stayed true to God. However, the earth will be well populated. I want you to realize here that all the elect, those whose names were in the Lamb's Book of Life, from Adam on to the last one that comes in before the rapture, will be there. But God also brings in the 12 tribes with Dan and Ephraim, who are not mentioned among the 144,000 group, according to Revelation 7, God brings them all into the picture. There, these tribes of Israel will establish the temple worship with the nations flowing to the house of the Lord, according to Micah's vision in verse 1 to 3. Let's read. But in the last days, it shall come to pass that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established in the top of the mountains, and it shall be exalted above the hills, and people shall flow unto it. And many nations shall come and say, come, let us and let us go up to the mountain of the Lord and to the house of the God of Jacob. And he will teach us of his ways and we will walk in his paths for the law shall go forth of Zion and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. And he shall judge among many people and rebuke strong nations afar off. And they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation shall not lift up a sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. Wow. What a vision and a revelation that God gives to us over here. So we see quite clearly, just as we look at this briefly here for in whatever light we can, we see that God's kingdom will be established and there will be many nations and multitudes upon the earth during this millennial reign. So we see that the Gentiles, many nations, are a part of the plan of God. We will all go to worship the Lord in Jerusalem during this time. Whereas these nations, the Gentiles, once fought against each other, now they use their weapons as agricultural tools. For the world has been reset and we turn back to an agricultural society instead of the high-tech, high-pressure world that we now know. Notice it is swords into plowshares and spears into pruning hooks. So we are no longer turning and trying to kill each other, but we are doing this as the civilization grows, it progresses. And as the civilization grows, it becomes and develops into the kind of civilization that God wanted all along. Ezekiel's chapter, Ezekiel chapter 40 to 48 spells out in detail the order of worship that Israel is to follow. And these chapters show us that there will be weights, currency and measurements in this new world, much like there is now. We often think of the millennium as a sort of mystical dream world, but it will be extremely tangible with work and trade and commerce being a part of it. 
Now, some have wondered at my repeated statements that there will be children born in the millennium, but let me share just one scriptural promise regarding this matter. There are many, but I will just share one because it's already been over 15 minutes. It is a beautiful scripture found in the book of Ezekiel chapter 47. Here, God is ordering the layout of the tribes during this millennial, the millennial reign, and he says in Ezekiel 47 verse 22, and it shall come to pass that you shall divide it, that's the land, by lots for an inheritance unto you, and to the strangers that sojourn among you, which shall beget children among you, and they shall be unto you as born in the country among the children of Israel. They shall have inheritance with you among the tribes of Israel. Here Ezekiel is speaking about the land that is to come, the world that is to come, and he establishes the fact that there will be Gentiles or strangers that come in to dwell amongst the children of Israel during this great millennial reign, and they will have children. Now, let me express this to you here. We, while we, we are, cannot say who or what these groups of people are in that sense, I do want to establish this fact. A glorified body doesn't mean that we cease being, being human. Frankly, Eve conceived, although she was in a glorified body. Did she not? I'll let you think on that a while. Our human talents and skills remain with us. We will use them to glorify the Lord who will be tangible and visible in our midst. Just think of what it will be as we worship for a thousand years with singers like David the, from the Bible and Sankey, as we hear testimonies by Paul, Peter Cartwright, and Brother Branham, and so many others. Truly, I wonder how we'll find time to sleep with so much excitement going on. And through it all is the blessed presence of the Lord Jesus incarnate among us. But at the end of this millennial period, some incredible things take place. The anointing of the new Jerusalem, the resurrection of those who have never heard the gospel, and the general resurrection of all those who have to be judged. How do these events affect the world? How do they fit into Bible prophecy? How does Isaiah's statement that a child shall die at a hundred years fit into the great picture? Lord willing, we'll look at these things and more next time. God bless you.